On the Empire Podcast this week, is there a Dr. House in the house? Yes, the great Hugh Laurie, star of Blackadder House and now Tomorrowland, colon, A World Beyond, is this week's guest, plus all usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that if all goes well and our bid of £4.50 and a tattered copy of X-Men Origins Wolverine is accepted, will be permanently joined next week by Raheem Sterling. Only a matter of time. Exciting stuff. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. Uh, Helena Harris on holiday, so it's a bonanza of lad bants that may just bag us the job presenting the new Top Gear. Uh, first up is our very own Jeremy Clarkson. He's a thunderingly right-wing, balshy, overly talkative guy with opinions about important stuff that would make your hair stand on end. It's James Dyer. It's James Dyer! Hello, Chris. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Good, how are you? Uh, I'm good. You raised your eyebrows at the Raheem Sterling reference because you do not know who or what that is, do you? Uh, He's actually a very accomplished director. His work is little known, (laughs) but uh, I've always been a fan. All right, okay. That's leave it at that, He's some kind of footballerist, isn't he? Next up is our very own... Richard Hamster Hammond, he's cheeky, youthful, irrepressible, armed with facts and a lovely bouncy hairdo. It's Ali Plum. I'm so James May. I'm you're not James so May. James you're May. not James May, mate. You're not. You're not. You're James that May. Makes, that makes, yeah, yeah, I'm James May. You just don't want to be Hammond, do you? Nobody wants to be Hammond. <laughs> you are Hammond. <laughs> Which is really weird because, you know, he's a little cheeky chappy and he's got opinions and he's tiny and he's got good hair and he died and everyone loves him except for the people who don't and... Yeah, why don't you want to be Richard Hammond, man? He's short. And you're so tall. Correct. Mm. Nevertheless, you're Richard Hammond for the purposes of this, uh, which makes me the cuddly, a funkular, possessed of a biting wit, and let's be honest, a bit of a belly, James May, the housewife's choice, if you will. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to accept that mantle here on the Emperor Podcast, which this week, I should point out, is uh, once again sponsored by Squarespace. Uh, and here comes the blurb. The all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store for a free trial of Squarespace, not like a murder trial or anything. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com. Squarespace.com. Use the offer code EMPIRE. In case you've forgotten what that is, this is the Empire podcast, so EMPIRE. There you go. It's all very exciting. All right, we've got a question. It has been sent in via Twitter. Uh, but before we get into that question, um, I'm going to address something that people have been raising on Twitter. People have been asking, are we going to do a Mad Max Fury Road spoiler special podcast? Hmm. The answer at the moment is no. And the reason for that is that we don't do them unless we talk to the filmmaker. Because then they shed light on stuff and it's interesting to talk around and you know brings you things that you haven't heard about the film. Rather than just four idiots in a room talking about the movie, which is essentially what the Mad Max spoiler podcast would be. George Miller did not come to the UK, therefore we were not able to interview him. So at the moment, as things stand, that's our policy. We've only done it once before uh, for Skyfall, and that was three years ago, and we were still kind of finding our feet. That's the policy at the moment. If you feel violently, really strongly, that we should have a Mad Max Fury Road spoiler special, do let us know if that, if that disappoints you. If you want to hear us talking about torques and camshafts and all sorts of stuff, then, you know, who knows? We may... Reverse that decision. Reverse, because it's a car chase. We can adopt our Top Gear personas. Top Gear persona. Uh, This week, we have a question. Some say he's at Matt Bunk, and he is, and he sent in a question, which is, um, you have to remake only one film of a trilogy, says Matt Bunk. One rule. You can't say The Godfather 3. It's too easy. Oh, that's harsh. That is harsh. It is harsh. And are we extending this? We just keep this in trilogies, right? We're not extending this to... The Friday the 13th series or the anything that's gone beyond three. Stick, stick it to, to trilogy. But then, of course, there's a difference between, a, you know, a proper trilogy and just like a threequel. Yeah, does Alien 3 count? Well, no, because it goes on after that. I think if it stops with three, you can get away with it. Personally, yeah. I would probably remake An Unexpected Journey and I would have it continue beyond the Shire, cover the end of Smaug and indeed the Battle of the Five Armies and then, you know, finish. Because I think it would have been a much better tale told as a single film. So your idea to remake a trilogy is to... Combine it into one scrap film. the trilogy. Yeah, basically. That's, that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. That, that, that series would have worked better as two. I think everyone can, can agree on that one. It's kind of always the third one, isn't it? It's usually always the third part. That, you know, so if, if it is Godfather 3, it is... Blade Trinity. 
It is, it is Blade Trinity. <laughs> it's Naked Gun 33 and the third. It is Naked Gun 33 and the third. Uh, yeah, usually they, they do botch up the third part. Yeah. The Raimi um, Spider-Man trilogy, third yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably one I'd have a uh, yeah. That's one I'd have a go at because if anyone knows how to make the third part of the Spider-Man trilogy, <laughs> it's me, podcast muggins here. Yes. James May, <laughs> James May, with my oh love of toys and oh my oh Matrix Revolutions. Yes, that is a good shout. Actually, I think there's a lot that they could have saved. I feel like there was an opportunity lost. All the mythos and I feel like it dropped the ball. I wonder if it isn't even more straightforward than that. The the thing I always found with the Matrix films is inside the Matrix, it's really interesting. Outside the Matrix, it's quite dull. And the third film has just token Matrix scenes and then the rest of it's all in Zion and it's just quite boring once you get out of the uh, simulation. Yeah, I, I, I like elements of the Matrix Revolutions, but then I like elements of the Godfather 3. So, so do I. So what do I know? But is there, is there a part 3 that's better than... Part two. Some people would say Back to the Future three is better than Back to the Future two. They would be wrong. wrong. Um, what about Indiana Jones? Is, back, is the third better than? Of course, this isn't a trilogy anymore. Mm. So what are we saying? No, but, but it is better it is, than the second one. It is a trilogy because they didn't make a fourth. No, he's right. There are only know, three Indiana Jones. We films. know this. Yeah. So I would say that the third is better than the second yeah. Indiana Jones, personally. but not better than the first. There you go. So you would remake Temple of Doom? I would make. I would. You know, mm, I don't want to remake any of them. That's why it's a tough question. Mm. But yes, I would remake the second. Okay. okay. Why is that? I don't like the grabbing the stone breasts, uh, going back and forth from the bedroom scenes. Her character generally isn't for me. Also, there are, there are overtones now in that movie that are when you watch it as a kid, you're going, "Okay, this is fine." Then you watch it as an adult, and you go, "Oh, this is a, this is kind of racist. <laughs> this is this is I'm not very comfortable with this." Uh, get him, Indy. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it's kind of okay. This is this is weird. But still, um, at the same point, there's so much to love in that film. Like yeah. it is 95 percent fantastic. I'm sure, Aaron's fantastic. I love him. And yeah, the minecart chase, rope bridge, and it goes on and on and on. It's mm-hmm. it's great. But if I had to pick one, if you had to pick one, it would be that one. I I don't know if I'd remake uh, one film in a trilogy, but I would address what I think is one of the biggest flaws of a trilogy, and I would recast Anakin Skywalker across the entire prequel trilogy. Because that is just the worst casting. Both both times. Both right? times. Mm. Um, yeah, hamstrung by poor character development and mm-hmm. bad dialogue, yes. But you know, when Harrison Ford said you can type the ship, but you sure can't say it, he could say it. He managed it. He managed yeah, it and he, he elevated that, that material. And uh, Jake Lloyd, God rest his soul, and um, Aiden Christensen... <laughs> Uh, are just awful, awful in in those movies. And uh, I, I also wonder, George at one point was talking about, he started off, George Lucas, by the way, sorry, in case anyone doesn't know who George was. Um, he was talking about at one point about making Anakin 12 in the first, in The Phantom Menace. And I kind of feel that would have been more interesting than a, a little boy who actually doesn't know how to pilot a starship and says yippee a lot and wants a smack. Yeah, he's he's one of the most aggravating screen characters, I think, and it's just it's it's very it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because I mean that there's you got that fantastic teaser poster, which was Jake Lloyd with the the sort of the shadow of Vader behind him, to sort of emphasise that this will be Vader, and then you see him, and you've just brutally emasculated cinema's greatest villain, mm. and it's just it's, it's horrendous, <laughs> it's just horrendous. I'm blaming him for midichlorians as well. Yeah, midichlorians and 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 frankly, at the end of at the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, you know the the no, it's just. I mean, having anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I sat through the the prequels again um, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and I have long, as have you indeed, been been a defender of the prequels, and I have been forced to do a slight uh, one eighty on this particular. A slight, a slight one eighty, slight redaction. A, scr- a screeching uh, handbrake turn. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. To use another Top Gear analogy, uh, it was. Uh, we're doing right. We this are week. doing quite. We're quite we're automotive. Okay. It's good. Screeching handbrake turn. That's right. nice. Leaving skid marks on the road. In fact, the only way the Phantom Menace could be worse if it was made by a German, um, <laughs> which of course is not. No, it's not. Hello, American listeners. <laughs> Americans love Top Gear, man. They do. Our best export. Americans was. love it. They're distraught about Clarkson in America. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I would also say one other thing that I would do, uh, which is, again, completely changing the question for our own end, is I wouldn't necessarily want to remake 
a movie in a trilogy that exists, I'd maybe want to cap some films at three. Oh, okay. Before they go on and tarnish the legacy that goes beyond, and yes, we've you know we joke all the time on this about there not being a fourth Indiana Jones film, but that that's a good yeah. case in point. I would, uh, I would, with the best will in the world, because I, I love the man and I love his work, but I would go to George Romero and I'd go, don't make Land of the Dead, and certainly don't make the films that came after that because it just it tarnishes your legacy. Um, Land of the Dead's okay, it's fine. But the first three are masterpieces, and what came afterwards, it, there's not a single masterpiece to be found, sadly. So mm. I would I would stop at uh, three dead films, and I'd I'd go to the, the Makers of Please Academy, and I'd say stop at five guys. Yeah, you, you really you hit your high point at five. You do hit high point five. Which <laughs> which of the Top Gear presenters would you remake? <laughs> 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 I think it's Clarkson. I think I would start from from scratch and just rebuild him with all new parts. I'm yeah. fairly certain the BBC are trying to do that at the moment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain they are. Uh, yeah, it's Clarkson, isn't it? But the opposite of what you were saying earlier is the Fast and Furious franchise, where if yeah. they, to be honest, got rid of the first three. Yeah, maybe the first four. Yeah, be totally okay with it. Except for the fact that you're entirely wrong, as the first one is still the best. You're not. Oh God. I'm never getting past this. I'm gonna. You do actually the sound first like one, saying that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the first one is the best. The second it's one not. is the average. First the third one is average. The fourth one is average. The fifth one is great. The okay, sixth one yeah. is average. The seventh one is great. Uh, okay, there's a lot of wrong things. <laughs> what you just said. Um, do you have a business card? <laughs> Are you going to do a magic trick? Does it say professionally wrong on it? Oh, I because see you did that. it That's should good. do. It should do. And if it doesn't, give me some tip X, I'll make sure it does. Thank uh, you. The f- okay, so let's say, for example, for the sake of saying, just the sake of argument, that yeah. we accept the Fast Five is great uh, on its own terms for what it is, yeah. okay? Now, uh, Fast and Furious, which, again, I cannot stress enough, is a Rob Cohen film. <laughs> you, you're going to bring up Cohen. And is basically an, uh, not as good as Point Break. Is not great. No, I, I know I, I I have a great deal of affection for the original uh, uh, Fast and the Furious. Uh, mm. It is a very different beast to uh, the latter films. I think it has uh, it, it has metamorphosized into something entirely different uh, and 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 great in its own way. But I still I still think the first is the best. Sorry. Fair enough. But going back to the question, yes. If I were to to do one thing, I would go back in time. Uh, I would. Uh, speak to Fox and I would change the scheduling of X-Men The Last Stand so that it started shooting after Superman Returns had finished. Yes. Or Give it a ratnerectomy. Would you... Uh, well, that's a bigger conversation. Um, I'm not sure that all the faults of X-Men The Last Stand could be pinned on Brett Ratner, to be fair. Because um, he came in with about eight weeks to go. Uh, and a lot of the things actually were set in stone by Matthew Vaughn. So the death of Cyclops and all that sort of stuff mm. is set in, you know, so, you know, if you want to attribute blame for Vinnie Jones' casting as a juggernaut. I think there's plenty to go around. There is plenty to go around. Uh, would you would you actually go one step further and say, Brian, don't make Superman Returns, just make the X-Men movie. Superman but, Returns, the... Yeah. <laughs> Which I, it's a film I really, really like. Film I really like. Um, it has a lot of good things in it, but... Uh, yeah. Part of a threequel in its own way? Part of a trilogy? I guess I guess you could say that. Yeah, absolutely. It you know it it pretends that Superman three doesn't exist. So is... I'd I'd say that that would be a trilogy I remake. If Superman Returns. I'd remake that, uh-huh. and replace it with Superman three. Yes, I remake Su- Superman Returns into the exact same <laughs> as Superman nice. three. I approve. All right. Okay. <laughs> interesting. We had some interesting questions this week that we we just don't have time to get to because. People are banging on the glass and wanting to kick us out. Uh, we will get to them in next week's episode, I promise you. Uh, but if you do want to have a question read out in the Empire Podcast, do send it in to us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. And you can Facebook us as well, where we're, uh, where we're Empire Magazine. Right, uh, so let's discuss some of this week's movie news. Hollywood's kind of gone easy on us this week. There's not a lot that's out there, but, you know... I'm going to start with something which I think is is very very interesting. Paramount have assembled a franchise writing team that will oversee the Transformers cinematic universe. Huh. Mm. Yes. Uh so they have a they have a writers room because because Transformers is 
Every studio now in Hollywood is looking at what Marvel have done and have gone, ooh, we want some of that. Give me the cashola. And uh, so almost every franchise at the moment is now going to go enter a world of shared universes and spin-offs and solo stories and all sorts of stuff. And Transformers is uh, has... We're going to be inflicted with some of those. But this is an interesting... This is an interesting little writer's room they've put together. So previously... Akiva Goldsman, the Oscar-winning writer of mm-hmm. Batman and Robin, didn't win for Batman and Robin, has to be said. Uh, he signed on to work with Michael Bay, Steven Spielberg, and Lorenzo, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, who's a producer. He's been on all, all uh, how many Transformers movies now? Is it eight? Eight, eight? yeah. Um, and they were to create a, a writer's room to develop more stuff. And so now, uh, Deadline are reporting that Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, is on board, as is uh, Art Markham and Matt Holloway, who are the writing team who did a lot of early stuff for Marvel, including Iron Man. Jeff Pinkner, who wrote on Fringe and Lost, and Zach Penn, who uh, wrote X-Men The Last Stand, The Incredible Hulk, and a first draft of The Avengers that was not very good from all reports. So, that seems to... that, that As I read them out, the names shifted in quality. But what do we think about that? There's actually... The, the, Kirkman on this is interesting. They all seem to be an impressive group of people Mm. the idea itself seems to work okay so you get some good writers in a room and they'll come up with good ideas and good scripts right Mm -hmm. my trouble is is that how do you have this marvel style universe in a transformers universe that presumably they want to carry on but also have spin-offs and whatever can you have the origin story of this robot like is that is that where do they go would would you go see an optimus prime movie well this is kind of what i'm talking about and and how can the transformers being so team-based if you know anything about them, they're very team-based, mm-hmm. have solo outings. I know the end of four, uh, do we want to spoil it? We can spoil uh, it. Yeah, I, Guys, if they you did a fairly good job of that on their own. If you haven't watched four, sorry, he blasts off seemingly into space, Optimus Prime, uh, sword aloft. So, <laughs> is that what they're doing? That, that he, he goes into space and there'll be some kind of guardians of the galaxy but with robots i don't know but i just don't see how this world will have solo outings i don't see it unless of course it's stanley tucci's character from transformers 4 in a solo outing just doing paperwork i watched that he was the best thing in that movie i want I, uh titus wellivers uh, and it will be called face warrant face warrant I, I again i'd go and see that film um i think the problem with the transformers universe is that it's starting from a slightly dodgy position mm. you know everyone kind of liked the first transformers movie i still like the first transformers movie but what's come since is just three awful films and i just think that you need to start from a greater platform of quality to spin this universe off it still does gangbusters the the, the last movie was the the biggest hit of last year um grossing over a billion dollars i've just got a feeling that the tide is turning against these movies and that you know, the the waters of public perception. If you dip your toe into them, you just get a feel. Oh, not more Transformers! Oh, what's going on? Um, and I think they actually need to break away from Michael Bay. I think they need a, for want of a better phrase, reboot. I think they just need to start again, and and hopefully get it right this time. Let's be honest, though. I mean, what would you do differently? So, if if we're let's pretend this was a trilogy, and let's go back to the original question: What would you do differently with Transformers? How would you make it better? I'd hire different writers and a different director. Well, they're on the first bit. Yeah. It's, an, it's, a, it's a difficult question. You're, that's appallingly true. You look at what it is and you go, well, how do you get it perfect? How do you make it both interesting to humans as well as just braying masses, clapping? And- they're not, let's be honest, great characters. No. Uh, they're interesting as toys. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always quite slim pastiche characters. I will admit, I mean, the film has taken that to the nth degree with their particular plan of offensive stereotyping. But um, I don't know that there's a truly great series of films in this property. I think what they had was a truly great film potential, which they semi-realised with the first one. The first one, I thought the robot stuff worked extraordinarily well. Um, I, I had mixed feelings about... Uh, you know, John Voight's character, John Turturro's character, I felt they felt like they were in a slightly different film. But um, you did come out of that in the same way that you came out of um, Pacific Rim thinking this is a film for which CGI was possibly invented. Uh, and there are moments in Transformers where, you know, it's absolute genius, Starscream transforming, spinning around a pole, it's giant robots hitting each other, it's great. But, you know, as a film, that's brilliant. As 
eight films or whatever it's going to be. It's 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 just fatigue, and I you know whether it be uh, Revenge of the Fallen or Dark Side of the Moon or you know you do get into just robots hitting each other for hours on end and buildings falling down, and it just gets a bit tedious because there's no characterization to back it up. Yep, I think that's that's fair enough. Although I would love to see a Transformers movie where all the actors who are in a completely different film to the one that they're in team up and just overact wildly at each other for two or three hours. That'd be great. Turturro, Foyt, Tucci, Welliver. Uh, Yeah, get them in. Get them in. Artis Welliver should be in everything. Uh, Well, that's a philosophical question that we won't have time to get into. Paramount have asked uh, Ed Swick, Edward Swick, uh, director of The Last Samurai, of course, to work with Tom Cruise again on the second Jack Reacher film, which we think will be uh, based on Never Go Back, the 18th Jack Reacher novel. Uh, Jimbo, like myself, you're a massive Reacher fan. What do you think about this news? Interesting. Um, I'm I'm in two minds. I think the first film uh, deviated quite wildly from what I see as the Reacher verse, but but made it work. You know, it, it, to me, it wasn't a it wasn't a Reacher film, but it was a good film in its own right. So I'd be interested to see what Zwick does with this. I won't go so far as to say it's Zwicked, but <laughs> oh, please, but please. I, yeah, I'm optimistic. Never go so far as to say it's Zwicked. <laughs> optimistic, yeah. A plums. Well, let's look at his back catalogue. Ed Zwick's done Blood Diamond, which is, I think is a great film. Mm-hmm. Last Samurai has its fans. Maybe Love and Other Drugs isn't a good comparison here, but <laughs> he's made plenty of good films. Defiance, Legend of Four, Glory. So, yes, he's got clout. Like, he's a worthy reacher, rounder-upper. No, that didn't work. Anyway, he, he's, he's, <laughs> he seems to be a good choice for me, but I just wonder whether there'll be enough people willing to pay the money to go and see the film. How much did the first movie make? It wasn't a... Uh, a poor showing, but it wasn't substantial. No. I guess I'm just pleased that there'll be another movie. As James said, the first one was pretty damn decent, and I'd like to see what's going to go on from there. If you disassociate it from Reacher, it's even more enjoyable. Just pretend he's a guy who just sounds like he's called Jack Reacher and seems to be a bit like him, but is kind of totally different. But yeah, it seems interesting. I just hope it gets made. Same here. Same here. If I, I'd like to see a few more of those, to be honest. But what it means is that Chris McQuarrie is... Um, not going to be involved. He's going to be executive producer, he, but he's too busy yeah. editing and finishing Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation to do that. Um, uh, the Magnificent Seven, which is a movie that I am genuinely hugely excited about, um, is about to start shooting. And uh, Peter Sarsgaard has uh, signed on to play the movie's main bad guy, which is, uh, which is cool. It's a really interesting cast. So you have um, Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Hayley Bennett, Ethan Hawke, so it's training day two, uh, Wagner Moura, Byung-Hung Lee, Matt Bomer, Vincent D'Onofrio. It's a good cast. That's a solid cast, I think. And D'Onofrio, uh, contrary to reports, is not a baddie. He's, he's one of the Magnificent Seven himself. So I'm, I'm excited about this. You, you guys, you think this is going to be good? I mean, I'll watch anything with D'Onofrio in it at the moment. Post-Daredevil, I'm, I'm a massive D'Onofrio file yeah i kind of want it's like it's he's been kept back in the jurassic world marketing so much he's in new trailer briefly and and i just kind of feel everyone loves him now after daredevil and i i'd be i'd be up in his presence in those Mm. trailers and tv spots and going look it's wilson fisk but with hair and cool ali do you like you agree i'm excited i love chris pratt and i'll watch anything he's in yes anton fuqua uh, formerly of this pod booth, is uh, going to be the director of that, which is why it's training day too. Uh, anything else? Yes, can I throw out a hearty Loktar Ogar uh, for the fact oh. that... <laughs> oh, yes, oh, it's Warcraft news. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and there's nothing quite like visual news to air on a podcast, and that's that uh, they released they released the first image of Orgrim Doomhammer from uh, the Duncan Jones Warcraft movie. And I really liked it. I thought he looks great. I mean, to be fair, it's cheating slightly because we saw some footage from the film at Comic-Con last year, so we kind of know what the orcs look like anyway. But this is the first kind of publicity still that they've um, they've released. And uh, for those of us who uh, enjoy a game of Warcraft, or indeed a game of Hearthstone... Nerds! Uh, nerds! <laughs> yes, those of us oh who are nerds. God! God, Chris! There's such oh, massive rules! <laughs> oh, my... All over the building! Oh, my God! Guys, have you seen this pot? <laughs> it's called the Kettle Black. No, but the point of Warcraft is is that uh, one of the reasons behind its success is the uh, aesthetic of Warcraft has always been a slightly cartoony, slightly caricatured one. Uh, and I think that was the interest 
interesting thing of what they would go for with the film. You know, do you go for uh, Tolkien? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, my lord. Do you go with sort of Tolkien-esque orcs, which are, for want of a better term, sort of more realistic, more sort of gritty, or do you go with the slightly, you know, hugely exaggerated, massive arms, tiny heads, kind of slightly caricatured look they go in the games? And I think they've walked this, they've walked this line brilliantly, where they are caricatured, they look very like Warcraft orcs, but they're uh, they don't they don't quite fall into into being sort of a parody. You yeah, know what they're, I mean? You can take them seriously. They're believable, imposing and real. They are yes, and and I think it's done a really good job. And I think everyone should go and uh, check out Doomhammer. So g- give us a, a quick forty five second pressy of the film. Oh, good God! All I know about this movie is that it's directed by Duncan Jones, which is a good sign, and it's based on a video game that I do not play. So you have forty five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Go. Okay. Uh, the orcs come from a world called Draenor. Uh, their, one of their sort of leader type characters is a warlock called Gul'dan, who gets in league uh, with Manoroth, who's a demon, uh, and forms a coven, and he makes the orcs drink some blood, and mm-hmm. they turn mental and evil. Then he opens the dark portal, and then they invade Azeroth, and they start killing humans, uh, which leads us into Warcraft 1, orcs versus humans. Uh-huh. Uh, lots of other stuff happens later on, which you don't need to worry about. If you play World of Warcraft, and you played the Warlords of Draenor expansion, then you'll know a lot of this kind of backstory stuff, because it all happens in the past. Now, the main people, Travis Fimmel, who plays Anduin Lothar. He's a king in Azeroth. He's a human. He's a good guy. Um, you've got all oh, other major characters. Uh, Garona, uh, who's, uh, I believe, a half-orc assassin. That's Paula Patton's character. Toby Kevel voices Durotan, who's, uh, who's one of the orcs. He's a good, uh, a good orc. Mm-hmm. As such a thing can exist, and his name is lent to Durotar, which becomes the orc's homeland uh, in 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 uh, um, Kalimdor, which yeah. is one of the continents uh-huh. in Azeroth. Uh, Orgrim Doomhammer, which is voiced by uh, it's Robert Kaczynski's character. It's, it's mocap, isn't it? Rather than is, is it mocap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voice mocap. Yes, I'm, I'm, you're right. I am, of course, playing down the role of, of mocap, so I shouldn't do that. Uh, Dominic Cooper plays King Lane Rin. He's uh, he's a king. Sorry, he's a king in Azeroth, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Anduin Lothar, which is Travels Fimmel's character is kind of a general. He's a military leader. Uh, ben Foster's in. He plays the wizard Medivh, mm. who's uh, quite a prominent character in Warcraft lore. Uh, Clancy Brown. Yes, Clancy Brown, of course, the Kurgan himself. He plays Blackhand, who is one of the bad, bad orcs. Uh, now, if you think of some good orcs, some bad orcs, he's a bad orc. Okay. Um, and who else is there? Uh, ben Schnetzer, he voices Khadgar. Uh, he is, uh, I believe, Medivh's apprentice, I want to say, one of the wizards. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, Terry Notary, who does the voice of Gromash Hellscream. And again, we should emphasize plays rather than plays. does the voice. Does the voice. Sorry, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm Andy okay. Circus would okay. slap yeah, me around he, the head. He's, he's, he's banging on the I can yeah. see him there. He's looking very angry. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> uh, yes, he plays Gromash Hellscream. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yes. Wow. He's, a, he's, a, he's a good orc. So lots of orcs. Uh, um, Gul'dan, who's the warlock, as I mentioned earlier, he's vo- uh, voiced and acted <laughs> by Daniel Wu. All right, cool. 45 seconds. Is that you what, did that, that in 45 seconds. Do, do, does everyone vaguely you now understand? You took an extra two minutes, but yeah. that was pretty good. I, s- I think we got up to level wiser. 19. <laughs> yeah, I'm still none the wiser. Yeah. But um, the, the CG orc looks fantastic. I think it's going to be yeah. uh, interesting. And they, they've definitely they pushed this movie back twice, and I think that's, that's definitely helped get the... Uh, hopefully... The yeah, it's funny, because right. people were saying, you know, oh, this doesn't bode well. I think it bodes brilliantly that they pushed it back. I think getting the effects right is, is paramount. So, and they were looking pretty good last summer, what they showed us at Comic-Con. So Absolutely. Very excited. Absolutely. One last thing, very, very quickly. For the I, Horde. <laughs> Is anyone here a fan of The Crow in any of its various iterations? Yes. So how do you react to news that uh, the upcoming reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it, created by Corin Hardy, who's very, very talented, um, is looking to cast Andrea Riseborough Mm. as Top Dollar. As Top Dollar, Mm -hmm. who's the, uh, the crime boss for want of a better term. Um, I'm fine with this. I think I'm a fan. I think I'm... It's Alex Proy's film is kind of a cult hit. I mean, lots of people do like it. I know you're not a huge fan, are I you? Need, I need to revisit it. I hated it. I really I like kind it. kind of... Because oh, I like Alex Proyas' stuff, and I kind of wonder if I should go back and take another look. Well, it's flawed, but to be fair, they had their fair share of production problems. Um, what with having their main star die. It, I mean, true. it does feel a little bit like a slightly weird goth rock video, but... The soundtrack's fantastic. You know, there's Cure, there's Nine Inch Nails, there's all sorts of kind of crazy stuff on there. Um, I really liked the way they played it out. It's kind of strangely structured like a computer game where it's sort of sub-boss, sub-boss, big boss. You know, he sort of takes them on one by one. But there's, I enjoyed 
the character of Eric Draven, I thought Brandon Lee played it very, very well and sort of brought a life to it beyond what's in the comic. The comic's a very different beast. It's much, much, much darker. Uh, it's much more depressing. I don't know if anyone knows the origin of the crow, but it's uh, <laughs> James O'Barr, who wrote the comic, sort of wrote it in response to the death of his then-girlfriend. So it's a really, really dark piece of writing. Uh, and indeed the way it's the way it's illustrated. And it's and it's very different to the film. I mean, Top Dollar, who obviously famously played by uh, Michael Wincott in uh, Proyas' film, uh, is never seen in the comic. So having him slash her played by Andrea Riseborough, I don't think is going to offend any comic aficionados. Uh, it's an interesting take. I mean, I think Obar's been much more involved in the production of this one, so it probably will hew closer to the source material, which, frankly, could make it quite hard watching. Yes, but, uh, yeah, I'm optimistic. Yeah. So we shall see. Ali, do you have any thoughts on this one? Never seen The Crow. Never yeah, seen The Crow. Like Perhaps we should comments. revisit it together and, you know, with fresh eyes. It's a great idea. I like it. Uh, right, that's the movie news, uh, which means it's time now for this week's guest. Hugh Laurie is a bloody national treasure and as someone who grew up worshipping a bit of Fry and Laurie, as I know you did too, uh, A. Plums, uh, along with Blackadder, it's a pleasure to have him on the show. Since his early days, of course, in British comedy, he's become a household name in the States, as has Jeremy Clarkson, thanks to his role as Gregory House on House. And uh, he's also an acclaimed jazz musician. I was listening to his second album last night. It's very good. Uh, and this week he pops up as the bad guy in Tomorrowland colon A World Beyond opposite George Clooney. I went along to speak to Mr. Laurie uh, earlier this week when he was in London because um, he's currently shooting the John Le Carre TV show The Night Manager and he had one day, his day off he came in. What a lovely guy. Uh, we had a wide ranging chat about all kinds of things including hey! Top Gear! Top Gear! Look at that, look at that. We don't just throw this shit together, you know. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Hugh Laurie. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. I am not too bad, not too bad. A lovely Sunday afternoon. Here we are, stuck in a hotel room. But this is the life we, we choose. A well, life we we're lead. in Claridge's hotel. <laughs> if, 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 you know, it's, a, it's a gilded cage. If it was a travel lodge, we might have cause <laughs> yeah, exactly. to complain. Exactly. Um, I'd say congratulations, first of all, on uh, Tomorrowland. Uh, the accent, the British accent, is absolutely spot on. Thank you. How many years of research did you spend getting um, It wasn't quick. Yeah. It doesn't come easily. People think it's something you can just put on like a, a, a pair of shoes. It's not like that. Mm. 56 years. 56 years? Yeah, yeah. But then if you're going to do something, do it right. <laughs> you know, it's worth doing. Why a British accent? From 56 years ago, you committed, you decided I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do a British accent. Why a British mm. accent? Right? I thought it, would just, it was just commercially it made sense. Yeah. I thought I could see a future. Ha, ha, ha. I could see a future... <laughs> Where um, slightly creepy British people would would be used a lot in Hollywood movies, yes, uh, as sort of threats, as, as menacing uh, creepy people. Yes, and I thought, yes, I want that's that's a business I could get into, but and, and dominate. It's only the accent you've been practicing for the last fifty six years, not the menacing creepy. Side How do you know things. that? I'm you've just, got no way hunch. of knowing that. It's a hunch. The fact that I've got away with it, <laughs> uh, I have escaped the attention of the authorities for this long. Um, Yes, no, I've concentrated. It's it's the accent, mostly, Mm. yeah. yeah. Do you still have a situation where Americans in particular think that you are American after being so convincing in-house for... Yes, I do, actually. Um, They, they, you know, they they do look at me as if I'm talking funny. (laughs) Um, And... uh, But I take that as a great, you know, compliment. Or a great compliment. A compliment. It was... um, but I think the world, it's, it's a different world now. It's, it's interesting because Mad Max is, is... I know that the, um, there's a lot of flurry around the, the remake of Mad Max at mm-hmm. the moment. When the first Mad Max came out, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, they actually dubbed uh, Mel Gibson because they thought American audiences couldn't understand mm-hmm. an Australian accent. I think the world is a very different place now. I think Americans and actually world audiences are much more open to hearing different sounds, different dialects, different sort of textures mm. um, in films. They don't need to have things sort of translated in that sort of rather formal Soviet way into their <laughs> own, into their own uh, speak. You know, they can... Uh, and I think that, that's great. I think people, people are used to... Uh, we're not in that um, Henry Higgins world anymore, yes. I hope. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so it, I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more sort of flexibility now, freedom yeah. for, for 
factors. That's interesting. As part of my uh, research for this, I was watching a lot of your appearances on the uh, Craig Ferguson show, The Late Late Show, which was a, I was a huge fan. I used to live in the States for a while. And uh, it's fascinating. You talk about people acclimatising to accents. And he never really dialed down the Scottishness, which I He didn't. He didn't, although I always, I always thought that he had a slight advantage because the, the, a, a Scottish accent is actually... I mean, I'm no expert in this field, but I think it is actually a component anyway of what wound up being the conventional uh, American accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Scots went over there in, in big numbers, and uh, there are there are certain vowel sounds that you actually think, wait a minute, Americans do that, but that's actually sort of straight Glasgow. You know, that's <laughs> that's where it came from. That's why they sound and uh, Irish too. Yeah, um, the sort of lardy da. Um, middle-class Englishman has got actually a, a slightly bigger step to make than Craig Ferguson did. Yes. But, uh, but you're right, he was very... Uh, I think that's why they loved him so much, yeah. because he was not someone who ever tried to explain himself or, or try and tailor himself to be what people wanted. He, he did it so much on his own terms that they, people just responded so well to that. It was so honest and, and, and refreshing. And it still is. I mean, he, he's an incredibly... Charming and one, he's a wonderful uh, uh, host, wonderful comedian. Mm. You've done so many things over the years. I mean, you, you know, acting, comedy, music as well. Uh, chat show never occurred to you? Is that something that you being think? being the host? Being the host, so, yeah. Um, I have. Uh, I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would be absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, Terrible. I've. Um, but that in itself has a strange fascination. I would love to see you be terrible. You'd, 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 <laughs> I suppose it would actually to to have a chat show host who is just notoriously bad at small talk or, or even big talk. He is even worse at big talk. So what are we going to talk about? Um, yeah, that would be quite interesting to see. Actually, <laughs> just uh, just thirty minutes of of straight social awkwardness. Mm. Um, yeah, that might be. Uh, you could actually call it the car crash. It would that be, would be amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying Top Gear is available. Top Gear is searching for a host at the moment. <laughs> so I understand. I know you like you maybe prefer two wheels to four, but I'm just throwing it out there. Um, I, yes. It's funny because a very, though, blimey, 20-odd years ago, when uh, I did this sketch show with Stephen Fry, and we, uh, we actually had a sketch in which we bemoaned the fact that car programmes all thought that they were their job was to be funny and I and we we were sort of so we made the point that we actually don't we don't on a comedy show we don't review cars so why can't they just stick to their own and then we started reviewing the <laughs> Nissan Micra um but uh yes I don't think I just don't think that's something I would uh Mm. I would slot into very easily. The car yeah. crashed with Hugh Laurie. I'm, you have one viewer, sir. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Be, well, well from, week. from tiny acorns, <laughs> um, you know, etc. But let's talk, let's talk about David Nix as much as we can because he's a character that is difficult to talk to talk about without getting into spoiler territory. But he is, as you say, slightly menacing and slightly creepy. Did you take <laughs> a lot of inspiration from the name? David Nix, to Nix things, Nixonian. Did you it, have- it, it, yes, I mean, it, I think it, uh, I particularly enjoyed the fact that they took the... Brad and Damon, who wrote the script, uh, they took the names... They, uh, they took the names seriously. The names mattered. Names mm. mean something. Yeah. Um, they they colour the way people respond to a character in life as in films. I, um, and, yes, there is a, there is a negative... There is a negative aspect to him, although not one that he was, I don't think, this character would be conscious of. I think he feels that what he is doing is for the best, is mm-hmm. for the good of mankind. Mm-hmm. But there, are, there, are, there have been throughout history many dictators who have thought precisely that, mm-hmm. that uh, they are doing the best for people. If only people knew uh, what was good for them, they'd understand. That's the sort of uh, mindset of the... Your average dictator, <laughs> um, and uh, but yes, you're right. That there it, to enforce that that vision on a population, an unwilling population, requires a sort of negative, a sort of not negative, but but a, a forceful, 
uh, requires a, a form of discipline. Mm. To, that's, that's a rather sinister word, discipline. <laughs> uh, but that's what he has. Um, he realizes that this is uh, this is a vision that he has to impose on people. If it's going to work, yes. it has to be imposed. And yes, there is something there is something uh, negative about him in that way. It's safe to say he's not a very optimistic person. It's a movie about the power of optimism, ultimately. Uh, are you an optimistic person about the I am future? Be- I am becoming more so. I, or at least, I mean, I'm either becoming more optimistic or I'm becoming more impatient with pessimist, pessimism. <laughs> I find pessimism as a sort of default setting, cynicism as a default setting, mm. very sort of wearing, and I have resolved to be jaunty. About the future, um, does jauntiness come naturally to you? Uh, no, it's something. It's something I, I do jaunty exercises every morning to to increase my jaunt factor. But it, it is it is as the film says it, it is a sort of an effort of will that the the future is. Uh, it, it sounds trite, but then a lot of true things do sound trite. Um, uh, but the future is what we make it, and the and the future is determined by. The attitude uh, we have, we have as we step into it. I have found myself lately becoming, I think, more rather than less optimistic. I think partly because it may be my my own personal fight against the aging process that I am I'm determined not to become, you know, Mr. Grumpy of um, Tunbridge Wells, um, <laughs> because I find that so pointless. I, I just uh, it's so dispiriting, and and, and the, the end result is a sort of apathy. Yes. Um, and that any form of uh, productivity or energy or creative spirit that one has, it requires optimism. It requires a sort of, to hell with the risks, we, we're just going to do it anyway and, and uh, see what happens. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We're, that's not going to intimidate us into not trying things. It's interesting. I'm, I'm one of the many hundreds of thousands of people who follow you on Twitter. And... You're not pessimistic on there. You're you're not. It's very easy to be cynical and snarky on Twitter, and that's, that's a trap that you haven't, thus far, I think, fallen into. Um, yes, I. Uh, well, I. <laughs> I have come awfully close. <laughs> I, How many times I, have you deleted tweets? I have deleted. Um, I have deleted snarky tweets. It, it is a bit weird. It's like having a loaded gun around the house. You think, oh, one of these days, I'm going to accidentally pull the trigger, and that's going to go off. <laughs> I've got to make, keep making sure that, that you know that I've un, un, uh, I've emptied the gun. Yes, no, I, I think if, if if it's going to have any function at all, it mm. should be that that uh, Twitter should probably be spreading love rather than uh, hatred. But so uh, yes, I think I I think I hope I've managed to avoid it. A couple of times I've let I've come awfully close, but uh, so far so good. Indeed, uh, one of the things you said recently, which intrigued me, was uh, and I quote. My love for Gogglebox knows no bounds. It's true. Now, that surprised me. It did, it really? Yeah, it did. I didn't expect you'd be watching Gogglebox. I I, I'm absolutely transfixed by it. Yeah. Um, the, is it the, are they the Siddiqui family or Siddiq? Siddiqui, I think. Uh-huh. I just find, uh, just, abs- I, I, can't, I can't look away. I just think they're absolutely compelling. And what I love, I, one of the things I absolutely love about it is the fact that there is there are there are sort of universal reactions that that everyone particularly broadcast television broadcasters assume that, it, that the audience is now fragmented into these little pockets of people who only are interested in certain things or have certain views well that may be so to some degree but there is also this tremendous um there are these sort of universal qualities of good humor and patience and and humanity mm. which are present wherever you look and where you, where you think people are going to have massively diff- different reactions to something they actually don't that they all they all respond whether it's a political broadcast or a, or a reality show or whatever it might be there is a sort of um, there are certain sort of universal truths that people cling to and then by and large they're incredibly kind and funny and humane and I find it so I actually find it very inspiring he, he finds Gogglebox inspiring my <laughs> it does that doesn't sound good I know but but I actually do I, I and I find myself just liking them so much I, I find I just like the people well in the interest of a, of a cracking segue uh, you're on Gogglebox <laughs> quite a lot these days I mean you're 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 in feet 
at the moment? Oh, yes, is I that, am. Is that a run that's going to be a, a long I am in the next uh, five episodes, I think, so mm-hmm. that, yeah, in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to, up until the end of their season mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're not sure yet where about the, the precise lineup for season five, but I had an amazing time. Mm-hmm. Doing it. it was something I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have missed. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing that woman Julia Louis Dreyfus is just extraordinary. We will she look back and yeah. say we were lucky to live in the time of Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, I I do believe she she is um, uh, just extraordinary, like, like no one I've ever seen. Uh, and, and to be able to, to be part of it, to have the sort of the best seat in the house, it was an incredible privilege. And so, um, I'm, you know, fingers crossed it'll, it'll, it'll continue or they'll, they'll find some use for me. And or I might, I might look at the next script and see that I, um, I get assassinated or something. <laughs> uh, or I, I, I get cholera. That would, you know, that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, development. And uh, you're also shooting the uh, Night Manager at the moment, or have you finished with the Night no, Manager? No, we are almost exactly. Today, I think, might be our halfway point. Okay. Um, we're, we're shooting that in Morocco at the moment. Then we go to Spain for, the, uh, for a big chunk of the second half of it. Uh, Absolutely, it's a that's a project that's been dear to my heart for since the novel came out twenty almost twenty five years ago. Back in the days when I actually imagined myself playing the stud, uh, <laughs> I am no longer the stud. I'm now the moustache twirling villain. But uh, it's still a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience to actually see this thing come to life because I've loved the book uh, since I read it um, a quarter of a century ago. And you, you said uh, again to Craig Ferguson that uh, it takes you about ten years to watch something, to be comfortable with something that you're in and actually watch it. That is true. How true is that? Is that it true? is true. It is true. I don't know if that's just sort of a pathetic kind of actorish vanity <laughs> that I just sort of... Um, that a 10-year-old version of yourself sort of doesn't look so bad <laughs> um, in comparison to what you see in the shaving mirror uh, now. Maybe that's partly it. But, al- but also I think um, you need that amount of time to get a sort of perspective on something. Uh, for some of the wounds to heal, you know, all the, the mistakes you're very conscious of, you know, the next day or the next week or the next year, you still remember the mistakes you made. But I think 10 years later, you can go, oh, I, don't, I actually don't remember the mistakes and I can see this for what it is, which is occasionally pleasing and, and, <laughs> and, and satisfying to, to look at. Not often, but, it, but occasionally. So you'll be able to watch yourself and feep in 10 years' time? I think so. I think so. Okay. But not before. Not no. before. Awesome. Hugh, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you so Likewise. And as you know, this week's podcast is sponsored once again by Squarespace. And here to explain the science behind Squarespace is Mr. Ali Plum. Yes, it's science bit time with your friendly local regular editor, Ali Plum. Squarespace, of course, is the fun and easy way of creating your own personal website, portfolio or online store. And guess what? You get a 10% off code with empire the word to put in the coupon box is empire empire e-m-p-i-r-e it looks professionally designed no matter what your skill level there's no coding required easy to use tools throughout it's got state-of-the-art technology powering it to make sure it's secure and stable and not going to like fall over in the middle of the night it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world and it starts at just eight dollars a month you can work it out i think about five pounds is about right a month and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year so start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com when you do decide to sign up for squarespace remember empire's the offer code 10 percent off your first purchase Squarespace, as they say, build it beautiful. Thank you for listening not only to this science bit, but to the podcast generally. Please enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled programme. I'll start the review section of the show with uh, Tomorrowland, colon, A World Beyond, as it's now known over here, because apparently of a music festival called Tomorrowland, which, um, in case people get confused... I didn't know that. That's apparently why it was changed over here, to that, frankly... Terrible title. Slightly um, unwieldy. Yes. Mm. Uh, but let's just call it Tomorrowland for the sake of uh, the review. Uh, Ali, do you want to talk us through this one? When you were talking with Hugh Laurie, did you set up the plot of the film in any way? No. Okay, so we can just start afresh. Yes. Right. Well, this is the tricky thing about Tomorrowland. It is, of course, based on the theme park, not ride, but area of Disneyland. 
And it has that element of Disney-like wonder at the future, that 1950s feeling of, isn't everything great or wouldn't, won't it be great when we have jetpacks and rocket ships and all those awesome things you thought you might have in the Jetsons? Uh, it has that sense of nostalgia about it, but it's uh, essentially the story of this girl, played by Britt Robertson, who gets given a pin or a badge, we might call it in the UK, that transports her into another world. And this other world is Tomorrowland. We don't know much about it, what the deal is, but when you look at it, there's a fantastic world, as I mentioned, of jetpacks and all that kind of stuff. Beautiful buildings, kind of like atom punk fun. Exciting, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not all fun and games because somebody who used to be in Tomorrowland and no longer is, is George Clooney's character, Frank. And he lives in this uh, kind of teched out house, blocked away from the world, nowhere near Tomorrowland. And there seems to be a mystery around why somebody who was in this wonderful, great place of the future has now come back to Earth and is sullen and grumpy and doing curmudgeonly George impressions. Those two get together, find a way somehow to find the mystery, uncover the mystery of Tomorrowland, what it is, what it was, what it will be. And uh, as part of that, Hugh Laurie's character is the Walt Disney-esque, maybe bad guy, maybe misunderstood guy who's in charge of Tomorrowland. And of course, we go on to meet him and discover what it's all about. Directed by Brad Bird, co-written by Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof. It's a twisty, turny, quite involved film, which I think is a touch more cerebral than your average children's film, if you want to call it that. Uh, that comes out most summers. To borrow respectfully from Shane Black, I think Brad attacks his work with a certain exuberance. And I think that's the main thing about this film that comes out for me is the there's so much energy, so much enthusiasm that he throws into it. It is very wide-eyed, you know. It's it, it is. I mean, it's optimistic, exactly as Ali says. The problem is George Miller has ruined the summer. Um, and once you've seen Mad Max, no, don't look at me like that. There is there is a parallel I'm drawing here, which is that Tomorrowland is all about, you know, it's wonder, it's invention, it's all about dreamers, as they say in the film. But there's more invention in a quarter mile stretch of Mad Max Fury Road than I would say in the whole of Tomorrowland. I think I'm that's, gonna disagree with that. Oh, well, go for it. Disagree <laughs> away. Uh, my main thing is it doesn't have that level of invention and I think part of that comes from uh, the nature of practical effects is that they require a level of, of, of imagination and creativity that you don't get when you're relying on, on, on CGI and it just felt certainly to me that Tomorrowland there was nothing there I hadn't seen before um, and I felt maybe there's one particular standout sequence in which is absolutely wonderful uh, those of you who've watched the most recent trailer will have seen a lot of it um, and had the whole film kind of continued at that pace, it would have been an absolute masterpiece. But for me, without that, without that level of invention throughout, it didn't it didn't quite fire on all cylinders. It's a funny film. I felt after I watched it that I admired it more than I actually enjoyed it. Mm. And it's a difficult thing to kind of summarise or appreciate or write down how you feel about because it's all about giving things a shot having the big idea, putting mm. yourself out there, mm. thinking, what if I did this? And that's how great things are made. Now, I'm not saying this movie's a great thing, but it comes so close. I mean, it tries so hard, like you say. It has so much enthusiasm behind it that you want to forgive it all its flaws. You want to say, yeah, so that's a bit lumpy and setting up that plot thing is okay and that's a bit rushed in there and blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, I didn't fully get behind it. I really wanted to. I thought there were some really interesting big ideas that I wanted to be like, you know what, I'm glad I'm seeing this in a film. This was otherwise to be hidden in a book somewhere. Yeah. And you've made it palatable. But it didn't quite deliver for me. It felt like a movie that had changed as it was being made. It felt a bit mutated, a bit, a bit twisted. But there's stuff in here to enjoy. It's just bizarrely for a movie which is basing itself around the fact that it can't, you can't talk about it because it's full of secrets and spoilers. It still managed to missell itself. I think it's still ported to be more about one thing when it isn't. I know that's just vague, but it's all I can do. I know, that's just marketing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that was intentional on their part. Perhaps a little cynical, but uh, Chris, go on then. Disagree away. Well, no, I disagree away because uh, I think there's one sequence in this film alone that had uh, all the astonishing, boundless invention. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's there's a home invasion scene which is largely yeah. now seen in, in the, uh, I think, the third trailer for the film. And that was the scene that they showed at the New York Comic Con, which I attended last October when I spoke to uh, Bert Lindelof for the first time. And I came out of that Comic Con bouncing. And I, I thought, because no one knew what Tomorrowland was at that point. It had been shrouded in, in secrecy, as these things often are. And um, 
I just thought, oh my god, this is as if this is symptomatic of the rest of the film. We're in for an absolute treat. This could be a genuinely great film. Sadly, it isn't. Um, but I will say that it, there is enough invention in that, and in another sequence that takes place later on that I will not spoil. And I think um, there, there's there's enough going on here. There, this is a film that it does not uh, it does not suffer from a, a lack of ideas or a lack of optimism, or a lack of heart. And I think it has all these things. I think it's a bit of a muddle at times. I think it's a little bit messy. But it tries something different, and I applaud it, and I admire for that. And it is good fun. And Clooney is 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 very, very good. Uh, Britt Robertson is is also good. It's sort of, you know, you, you may have seen her in some stuff before. If you watch Under the Dome, she's in that. Um, but I think she's fine here as a very precocious 17-year-old. I think there are mistakes that we will get into. I think in depth in the spoiler special podcast that we are doing once again going back to my uh, mantra we have we interviewed Brad Bird and Demi Lindelof so we're, we have a spoiler special dedicated to Twilight which is out next week um, but yeah it, it yeah, this is a movie that I, th- I had fun watching it I think it's fine it has somewhat dissipated for me since since then I saw it immediately after watching Fury Road by the way I mm. didn't I didn't think it suffered in comparison Interesting. Um, at all um uh, but yeah, I, just, I, th- I think this is a this is a fine movie. Um, uh, and as we say, as a, as Ollie Richards, who wrote the review, the Force Our Review, said in a tweet recently, you know, movies that swing for the fences should be applauded. And it swings for the fences; it doesn't quite get there. But uh, I think there's enough here, and it's 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 interesting. It's aimed at a different audience. It's aimed at sort of kids and teenagers and people. And I think it's not necessarily aimed at Brits either. Um, Disney is a very interesting thing, and the idea about Disneyland and Disney as a person and as an inspiration, I don't think translates to Brits. The most we knew about, when I was growing up, Disneyland was a place that was just, I guess, a bit like Tomorrowland. It was just, you. I was never going to visit it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't buy into the Disney ethos, and I think that this might commu- this might um, uh, communicate itself better to Americans. Who knows? I will also say one one quick thing before we go into... Uh, the very very quick roundup because literally people are banging on the glass now and David Hasselhoff I'm not kidding is is about <laughs> to arrive but uh, so we, we can't give the other films sadly the, the space they, they deserve but I will say one other thing is that I, I've already seen the way that this is going on the internet and I see that Damon Lindelof is going to get a lot of blame for this movie's shortcomings and I don't think that's fair I will say that I think this is a a true cool authorship between himself and Brad Bird and I think it's the easy way out it's the lazy way out to say that Damon Lindelof is the author of, of the flaws of any of the films he's involved with I'm not saying he's the greatest screenwriter in the world um, but uh, I think it's just it's it's uh, perhaps you should look deeper dig a little deeper before you start apportioning blame but uh, having said that we gave this film four stars I know you guys don't agree with that necessarily uh, but um, uh, I kind of do and I think it's 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 very interesting and to go and check out Tomorrowland, colon, a world beyond. Um, this week, really apologies for this. Again, we've got the half coming. I'm not making that up. He's he's about to arrive. So there are three films this week. Uh, it's kind of a horror trilogy, if you will. There's the fantastic American slash Iranian uh, vampire movie, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, uh, which is tremendous. Uh, our Ian Freer uh, gave it four stars, and um, yeah, it's. I think it really marks. Uh, it's it's dark. It's atmospheric. It's got a it's got a weird sense of humor. It's got a skateboarding vampire. Quite frankly, I don't know if you want anything more than that. And I think it sparks uh, a really interesting directorial voice in Anna Lily Amirpour, who's the writer and director of the film. So uh, go and check that one out. Four stars for a girl walks home alone at night. Uh, there's also a really interesting sort of uh, American body horror uh, called Spring, starring Lou Taylor Pucci, which we gave four stars to as well. Um, probably the least you know about that better going into that one but that's also very very good and then it's the remake of Poltergeist uh, which we gave two stars to two stars for the remake of Poltergeist uh, directed by Gil Kennan uh, produced by Sam Raimi Sam Rockwell's in it that's about as good as it gets hmm. Sam Rockwell's presence is sadly a tired retread of all the best bits from the first movie which doesn't really understand what made the first movie so terrifying in the first place which is pretty much part of the course when it comes to modern horror remakes but there you go so yeah Go See Girl Walks Home Alone at Night that's probably film of the week uh, Spring's also very very good Tomorrowland 
Really intrigued to see what you think, but do listen now for a spoiler special where we'll talk about it in more detail. And uh, Poltergeist, sadly, the runt of the litter. Sorry about the monologue there, uh, but time is against us. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined for the fourth time, I think. This is the first person to be on the podcast four times. Simon Pegg, uh, who will be here to talk man up. Um, and for the first time on the podcast, a man I've been trying to get into this booth for three years... He's remained elusive, and hopefully we're going to pin it down next week. Peter Serafinovich, who's the star of Spy, uh, which is a Shaun of the Dead and Space reunion, of course. So they won't be in the same room. Okay. There you go. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from James. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to audition to become the new Stig. I've even brought my own helmet. See you guys next week. Bye.